Do you like this show and want to help support us? Do you want us to stay ad-free? Do you want extra episodes every month? Well, then head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro and become a Patreon supporter of this very show. programs i am back in the saddle again for another episode of the nerd cave retro show my name is jason robbins and my name is derek diamond so derek thank you for taking the helm again last week everything uh last couple of weeks have been absolute batshit crazy for me um i had to take last week off because i just i couldn't get my setup uh ready in time plus i didn't have any time to play metroid like i wanted to um, I don't. Uh, if you can see behind me, if you're a regular watcher of the uh, the YouTube video, or if you watch us on Twitch, you can see I have uh, some different surroundings behind me. I'm uh, in a new apartment. Um, I have started off 2019 with a, uh, a brand new slate. So we're gonna see how this year goes for me. Hopefully, it'll be better than 2018. So, Derek, what have you been up to lately? Well, I've been sick the last couple of days, which is good that I wasn't sick last week because I don't think I would have been able to talk for 30 to 45 minutes by myself. Yeah. But um, no, it's just that time of year where, you know, sickness is going around with the, the weather changing and whatnot. And long story short, it's mostly been dealing with a sore throat, which is perfect for podcasting. I did a uh, an interview for my other show last night and up until about five minutes before I called the guy, my throat was hurting like really badly. And when we started, miraculously, I was fine through the majority of the interview. And as soon as it was over, I just crashed. And I, for some reason, I woke up at like 2.30 this morning and just felt awful and couldn't go back to sleep. Finally went back to sleep around five-ish and then woke up at eight and was like, yeah, I'm not going into work today. So called out, uh, laid in bed most of the morning, uh, took a really long hot bath and then spent most of the afternoon laying on my couch. So hopefully, hopefully it'll get better. I've been eating soup mostly for the last couple of days and just drinking a lot of water. And as you can see, for those who are watching the YouTube version, some hot tea. So yes, well, I hope That's, you feel uh, better soon, my friend. I know uh, there's some crud floating around that everybody's been getting sick. Look, luckily, I haven't gotten it. So, yeah, it's and surprisingly, no one else at work has been sick. So, and I haven't really been around anybody that has been sick. So, I don't know where I picked it up from, but I, I'm sure you might remember this. But I haven't been sick since I went to. I guess now two years ago to Star Wars Celebration. Yeah. <laughs> when I when I lost my voice for four days because I remember the day before we were doing the show, I texted you. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do the show, and you're like, Why not? Because I can't talk. Yeah. I think we like, didn't. I, didn't we put the show off for a few days or something like that? I don't. I don't remember. We we were able to do it on time. I, oh, yeah. I got my voice back the day that we <clears throat> recorded the show. That's scary. <laughs> I know. But that's why I was like, yeah, we might have to come up with a backup plan. But yeah, it, it was it, it sucked. I mean, granted, I don't talk that much anyway, like outside of this podcast, but not being able to physically do it 
for multiple days sucks. Yeah. Well, if you hear some strange noises coming from the room, uh, like I was telling Derek, uh, the new apartment I have, I, I just have this open upstairs bedroom and I have no way to keep the cats out. So <laughs> like I did at my house. So, cause there's no door. So if you see a cat jump behind my head, then that's uh, that's Luke. He's a little black cat with a nubby tail. I named him after Luke Skywalker. Yes, I'm a nerd. <laughs> uh, there's there's nothing wrong with that. It's funny because we both have uh, new setups too. For those who are watching the video version, I've got. Uh, I, I had uh, my aunt and cousin came over and uh, put up this brick wallpaper, along with the sound panels that I have uh, all across the room. And I actually have two directly in front of me. So hopefully the audio sounds just a little bit better. It does sound if there's good. no. Looks like you're There's about no to uh, bust out a stand-up set against the uh, the brick wall back there. Say again. Said it looks like you're about to bust out like a, a stand-up set. Uh, I for the listener's sake, I will never do that. <laughs> you don't want to hear my stand-up routine. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to talk about some retro gaming news for this week. Sure. So our first story comes to us from Kotaku.com. Soon you'll be able to play Duck Hunt on modern TVs. Weird. The NES Zapper light gun peripheral is an unfortunate victim of the relentless march of technology rendered inoperable on modern flat screen televisions. Retro console and peripheral maker Hyperkin aims to solve that problem with the Hyper Blaster HD and NES light gun for the modern age. The Zapper doesn't work on modern TVs because the technology Nintendo used to create it relied on the dependable timing of old-school cathode or cathode, cathode ray tube televisions, or CRT. Yeah. Instead of actually shooting anything, the Zapper is a light sensor. When the trigger is pulled while playing Duck Hunt, Hogan's Alley, or any of the handful of Zapper-compatible games, the TV screen goes black for a single frame, then any viable targets on the screen appear as white boxes for another frame. Before the game goes back to rendering as normal. If the zapper detects the white boxes within the center of its sensor array, it registers a hit. So long story short, modern TVs don't have that technology. Yeah. And this Hyper Blaster HD uh, will change that. I, cool. I think this is really cool for those who want to play the old school Duck Hunt on like an actual NES on a modern TV. Yeah, because I mean, I have several copies of Duck Hunt and Hogan's Alley, and I can't play them because... You know, I'm still using a, a a flat screen CRT television, but it's not the old tube television type, so I can't use the zapper on it uh, because it, you know it's it's basically one of the CRT televisions that was the the middle between the old school CRT televisions and the flat screens we have now. So it's it, I still can't use the the light gun on it, but as soon as this comes out, I'm getting it because I love playing Hogan's Alley. It's just one of those cool collectible things that, you know, if if I had an NES, I'd definitely get this. Oh, yeah. And you can't, uh, unless you have an old school CRT television, you can't play uh, The Adventures of Bayou Billy either because there was a lot of uh, light gun use in that game. Yep. So no, this is cool. a cool little invention. Yeah. Uh, and our next story, let's see, um, from Eurogamer.net. Uh, console modding can now land you a prison sentence in Japan. Uh, what could cost you cost you thirty six thousand pounds and up to five years in prison time? Uh, modding a console in Japan. 
following a change in Japan's unfair competitive com- competition prevention law in December. Game save editors and console modding services are now illegal. According to a translation by Siliconera, the law seems to be targeted primarily at those distributing modding tools along with those selling product keys without the software maker's permission. Uh, the official punishment is a fine of up to 5 million yen or five years in jail, and in worst-case scenarios, both. Um, change in the law has already ended the sale of several popular save editor tools. The CyberSave editor, for instance, uh, allowed users to access patch codes for games such as God of War, GTA V, and Monster Hunter World, giving players access to a variety of cheats. Um, but th- this goes on to uh, say the... Um, Modding micro consoles such as the NES, SNES, and PS Classic are no longer permitted, while cheat while cheat cartridges like Action Replay can no longer be sold. So, what do you think about uh, not being able to mod your console in Japan? Do you think this uh, this sort of law is going to spread to European countries in the West? It's definitely a possibility. I'm surprised that this wasn't already a thing. Yeah, I'm, I have a, a sneaky suspicion that Nintendo might be a little bit behind this. Yeah. And if they are, this could easily spread to the United States. Oh, absolutely. No, like I said, it, it's something that I kind of assumed was already a thing. So I didn't think yeah. that much of it. Well, I, I, you know, I know that uh, modding consoles and selling them with you know, ROMs and stuff like that are frowned upon um, already, but there's really not too much legally they can do. I mean, I, I, I'm not, sh- I don't know how they, because that's the thing, like you go on eBay and stuff and you see all these consoles that have all these games on there. There's ways that people can get around it by mm-hmm. selling these consoles, but I think if they really wanted to, the the game companies could approach Congress and put some sort of law into place to stop those practices and close up those loopholes that the, uh, the modders are using. Could be an interesting story to follow through this year. It's kind of weird. It's kind of scary. I mean, not that I'm, I mod anything, but you know, I've thought about it before. (laughs) Well, and to kind of go off of that, it should be one of those things. And it's almost a moot point because the classic consoles that Nintendo did aren't being, uh, published anymore yeah but if you're going to outlaw modding then come up with a system similar to what we talked about where you can actually plug your console un- into a computer exactly. and download new games onto it That's, and, and, and then you you pay like a small fee yeah I, I don't know why they haven't done that yet or maybe they are i don't know but um, that just seems like the most sensible solution to everything give people what they want and they will stop no stealing. I mean, look yeah. at what happened with the music industry. Every music industry was freaking out at the turn of the century because of Napster and all that stuff. And they tried going after people, um, prosecuting people for stealing MP3s and stuff like that. And then here comes Apple with iTunes and it pretty much stopped it in its tracks. So that should tell you right there, just give people what they want and it will stop. Yep. That's all you have to do. And our last story comes to us from TechSpot.com. This cartridge turns your old Game Boy into a wireless controller. This is actually a really cool article. 
Let's see. I'm of the opinion that the best retro game controllers are the originals. There's simply no better way to experience classics as they were intended than to play them on the original hardware they were designed for. Unfortunately, that often means sacrificing modern conveniences or modifying retro hardware, but with this nifty device, you don't have to do either. Alex from Inside Gadgets managed to create a custom Game Boy cartridge that acts as a wireless transmitter. Together with a receiver, you can play games across, across a wide array of platforms, including the Super Nintendo and GameCube, using your Game Boy as a wireless controller. You can pick up a pre-made cartridge for $23 from Inside Gadgets or by following the instructions posted online, attempt to build your own. I'd personally opt to just buy a pre-assembled version considering my electronics and coding skills are lacking. You'll also need receivers. Uh, those can also be purchased from Inside Gadgets or gathered separately. This is really, really cool. I know it is, <laughs> isn't it? And there, there's a video of this guy basically playing... Um, Super Mario Land uh, on his laptop using the Game Boy as a controller. I know, that's awesome. It's This is really cool, and for only $23, that, that's, that's not bad. I know, and he's, yeah, he's actually using a Game Boy Advance to do it, too. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, because original Game Boy games were still compatible with... Mm -hmm. with the Game Boy Advance, I believe. So You can pick up Game Boy Advances for pretty cheap these days, too. Yeah, I haven't played a Game Boy Advance in forever. Okay. I remember the original version of the Game Boy Advance still didn't have the the backlit screen. So my uncle actually uh, found this tutorial online where he actually assembled like a, a little backlight and put it inside the, the Game Boy. Oh, that's awesome. So, so I, I had a, a backlit original Game Boy Advance, which was really cool. That's awesome. He's he, <clears throat> pretty uh, ingenious. Yeah, yeah, it, it's uh, no this this is a cool thing, and I, I I watched the video a little bit before we started, and this is something I would get. I think it'd be cool to use an actual original Game Boy for that too. Yeah, for sure. But um, but let's go ahead and move into this month in video game history, shall we? Uh, in January of 1981, Atari Computer Magazine Analog Computing begins nine years of publication. Most issues include at least one basic game and one machine language game. I don't remember this game uh, magazine at all. Do you? Mm-mm. Interesting. Yeah. Computer Magazine devoted to the Atari 8-bit home computer hmm. line. Yeah, which, I mean, the Atari was a little bit before my time, so I know little to nothing about the Atari other than what we've discussed and learned, you know, through doing this segment. But still, it's, it's not it's not surprising that there was a magazine dedicated to the Atari. Oh, yeah. I mean, Nintendo had theirs. I think PlayStation even had one yep. back in the early PlayStation days. I miss magazines. I do, too. <laughs> I, the two magazines I looked forward to the most were Nintendo Power and Electronic Gaming Monthly. Yes, those were my two. Every single month. Yep. In January of 1982, Sega releases Zaxxon, which introduces isometric graphics and looks far more 3D than any other raster game at the time. I remember Zaxxon. It's, uh, it's got that very uh, Tron-looking font to it. That's exactly what I was thinking. Even the the graphics from the game remind yeah. me a little bit of Tron. It's a very uh, it was a very fun game. I remember playing this a lot in the uh, 
the arcades when I was a kid. This was always kind of a staple of the arcades was Zexon. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also in January of 1982, January 13th, Midway releases Miss Pac-Man, despite it being copyrighted as 1981. It is, as the name suggests, a sequel to Pac-Man, but was created without Namco's authorization. They also released Baby Pac-Man and Pac-Man Plus without Namco's authorization later in the year. The former is a pinball video game hybrid. Um, if I remember the story correctly, it was Midway. Uh, yeah, well, of course it was Midway. It was Midway that released Miss Pac-Man, but it was so popular that I think Namco just sort of uh, let them go with it, but um, still kept Midway's name on it, but it was sort of like a partnership. Because it was so popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Miss Pac-Man is just as, if not even more iconic than the original Pac-Man. I think it's more. Like, I, I, did I ever tell you about the uh, the Instagram account I wanted to start, where I was going to go to um, pizzerias around the United States, and I have a theory that there's a Miss Pac-Man machine in every pizzeria across the United States. You did mention that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. It, I, I'm, I'm not kidding. Every single pizzeria you go into, there's a Miss Pac-Man machine everywhere. No, it, it's I. There's something. There's something right about seeing an arcade machine in any type of oh, yeah. pizza restaurant. I love it. It just <laughs> feels right. Yes. Let's see. In January of 1985, Konami releases. Ye are Kung Fu, which lays the foundations for modern fighting games. Let's take a look at Ye are Kung Fu. I do. Um, I never played this, but I remember seeing them talking about this on uh, the video game years, which you have not, which if you have not seen yet, is on Amazon Prime, and it's excellent. I recognize the cover art, but I never played the game. Yeah, that is eighties as hell. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that it is. Well, what were you saying? I was just saying that it is. Oh yeah, I'd love to have a poster of that. Uh, let's see, January first of nineteen ninety two, Dune two is released by Westwood Studios, creating the template for the modern real time strategy genre. Dune two, Frank Herbert's Dune. Yet, yeah. um. That title sounds really familiar. The Building of a Dynasty, uh, titled Dune 2 Battle for Arrakis in Europe, and Dune the Battle for Arrakis in North American uh, Mega Drive Genesis. I did not know this was put out on the Genesis. So apparently there was a movie called Dune. Oh yeah, you never seen Dune? Mm-mm. Oh my god, dude. <laughs> you They're- have got to see Dune. Well, funny story, I was actually reading this today. Uh, the movie's being remade, yes. and Dave Bautista, who plays Drax in Guardians, is going to star in it. Oh, really? I did not know that. I'm yep. even more excited for that now. Yeah, I read that about that actually earlier today. The movie, it came out in the early 80s, and um, I can't remember who uh, was it. Let me look this up real quick before I... Uh, let me go to IMDb. So Wally doesn't correct us. Yeah, so he doesn't correct me. Um, it had, um, oh, what's his name? Kyle McLaughlin. <laughs> you know? Who oh, Kyle from uh, Twin is? Peaks. Yeah, from Twin Peaks. Uh, and it was directed by David Lynch, who um, okay. also did Twin Peaks and, of course, uh, Racerhead, all those kind of movies. 
Um, it's strange and it's, um, I don't know if for modern sensibilities, like it was a hard watch at the time, but if you're into sci-fi, then you're going to enjoy it. But it is very dated and very eighties and strange. So I'll just say that, but it is worth watching. I would, I highly recommend that you take the time one weekend and just give it a watch. Did uh, Kyle McLaughlin find a damn fine cup of coffee? I'm sure he did. (laughs) (laughs) Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah. And to close us out on this month in video game history, on January 15th, 1992, Mega Man 4 is released in the United States. Love me some Mega Man. As a matter of fact, um, uh, I did get Mega Man 11, and I'm about halfway done with it. I'm through most of the bosses, but I I don't know how much further I have. But I do want to review it as soon as I'm done, and I'm going to save that for next month. I had a feeling, I think I even mentioned it last week, that you had got the game and... Feared you would at least give your your initial thoughts on it. Well, so. I did. Um, I stopped playing it because I'm having a lot of trouble playing with the the controllers that actually come with the the Switch. So I purchased a Pro controller last night on Amazon, and it will be arriving on Monday. So I'll be able to play with much more ease because Mega Man is very hard to play without a proper D pad. Yeah, the Pro controller is great. It's expensive, but it's worth it. I got the it's Zelda. Actually... I got the Legend oh, of Zelda Breath of the Wild one. Of course I did. Sweet. <laughs> no, it's, it's a good investment. You'll you'll like it. But, um, but that rounds us out for this month of video game history. Let's go ahead and talk about... Is some good, good 8-bit music right there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love it. Metroid is uh, to kick off Metroid Month. Metroid is an action-adventure video game developed and published by Nintendo, the first installment in the Metroid series. It was originally released in Japan for the Famicom Disk System peripheral in August 1986. North America received the release in late in, uh, in August 1987 on the NES in a ROM cartridge format with the European release following in January 1988. Set on the planet Zebes, the story follows Samus Aran as she attempts to retrieve the parasitic Metroid organisms that were stolen by space pirates who plan to replicate the Metroids by exposing them to beta raids and then use them as biological weapons to destroy Samus and all who oppose them. It was produced by Gunpei Yokoi, director, directed by Satoru Okada and Masao Yamamoto, and scored by Hirokazu Tanaka, who just is probably one of the best um, NES, like, 8-bit era uh, composers at the time. I mean, he just knocked it out of the park with Metroid. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't have music that fits a game more perfectly than the music does in Metroid. Um, I wanted to ask you, Derek, did you ever play Metroid originally back in the day? The original Metroid, no. My introduction to this franchise was briefly playing Super Metroid for the Super Nintendo. 
And then from there, I went back and I played Metroid 2 for the Game Boy. I didn't play the original one until years, years later. I I actually don't remember when the first time I played the original Metroid was. This was actually one of the very few games that I actually finished on the Nintendo when I was a kid. Um, And it was rough (laughs) to finish this game. Um, And that was one thing I wanted to talk about with this game is I've been playing it for the last couple of weeks on and off. I really played it pretty hardcore last night when I finally got to sit down. Um, I'm having really a good time playing it because I am using um, a walkthrough, which I found um, at gravelstudios.com. I'm looking at it right here. Um, it's a pretty good walkthrough. Um, I've gotten a lost a good bit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, if you go there to gravelstudios.com, you can use a walkthrough and I would recommend if you haven't ever played Metroid before, um, if you're a kid and you're playing Metroid and you have all the time in the world to explore, that's the fun of the game. When you were a kid is having all that time to just explore because, it's not a linear game, you know. It's 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 a platformer, but it's not, you know, it's not straightforward like uh, Super Mario Brothers or anything. There's a lot of exploration that goes with this game, and um, you can get lost very easily. Very though. very easily. <laughs> this game is so huge. I forgot how huge this game is, um, especially when I would kind of stray from the the walkthrough and get lost very very easily like last night I was trying to get um I was in there's there's three different zones there's Norfair um Brinstar and I'm trying to remember the name of the original place where you start and I can't um let's see I'm looking Sorry. it up uh let's see let me go to the main page here Ah, shoot, I missed. Uh, ah, never mind. <laughs> but there's three different areas you go to, uh, and there's uh, too many bosses that you have to um, get to before you can go to uh, to defeat the Mother Brain. There is Craig and Ridley, who have you know been a staple of the Metroid series, especially like Ridley. I mean, that's a direct you know reference to Alien um, uh, with Ridley Scott. So. And mm-hmm. this game takes a lot from, you know, you could definitely tell this game was inspired by the Alien and Aliens movies, um, especially like the very end with the after you defeat the Mother Brain and you have to escape the planet. Like you all, you have a countdown that begins and you have to make the escape back up to the surface to your ship. And I remember as a kid, that was the most pulse pounding, like just hand-shaking, palm-sweating, trying to uh, escape the planet before it explodes. And that is going to be burned in my memory until the day I die, is uh, finally defeating the Mother Brain and escaping the planet. And probably one of the greatest video game moments of my life. I mean, even after that point, you know, I would go back and defeat the end of the game just using like the Justin Bailey code or the code that I had saved from defeating it originally. So, and that was a cool thing about this game. It's got a crazy um, code system 
which was rough when you were a kid trying to make sure you wrote everything down correctly because the password system is nuts in this game. But it's cool because you can pretty much, once you save it and get that passcode, you pretty much go right back to where you were. So mm-hmm. that was the cool thing about it. Yeah, it's going back and playing through the original Metroid. And again, I played through Super Metroid and the more advanced games before I went back and played the original. It's not as detailed and as good looking as the newer games, but the core of the gameplay is still there. And I, I think yeah. I, I think that says a lot about that franchise is that spanning the games now, granted, when they went to Prime and made it first person, that was yeah. very different. But the core of the gameplay throughout all the the 2D games is very much the same. But it's one of those that you don't feel like it gets old it throughout the entire franchise. It still holds up. I mean, just the, the whole look and feel of the game and, and the music and the gameplay. I mean, there's... There's a lot to that they could have done differently. Like one of the things that bugged me about the original game is before you actually get the screw attack, which is one of the best power-ups in any game ever is finally getting the screw attack. Um, Agreed. Is not being able to like crouch down and shoot because there are a lot of enemies that are crawling on the floor that you can't shoot because you can't bend down. So you either have to jump over them and then sometimes you have enemies that are falling from the ceiling and you try to jump and of course they're going to hit you and it's just sometimes you can get easily overwhelmed in this game but the cool thing is is now the game is on the the switch online so you have the you know you can save at any point in the game and that is so wonderful especially with a game like this because you're going to die a lot until yeah. you start to get your energy tanks filled up and you start off with one energy tank and of course uh you know if if you follow the walkthrough like i am it shows you which energy tanks to get when where they're at how to get them and that helps a lot once you start to get way more um energy and you also get the um uh, what was the what's it called Uh, there's another um, power. There's a lot of power ups you get in this game. Like you get the, uh, the, like I said, the screw attack. You get one. I think it's called the Varia, where it actually turns your armor pink, and mm-hmm. that causes you to actually um, the 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 damage you take is cut in half. Um, and you get uh, ice beam, which is pretty much the best weapon to use. I don't like to use the, any of the wave beams or anything anything like that because. Being able to freeze enemies and and jump on them and get to places you can't normally get to is way more. Um, it, it's way more useful than any of the other um, weapons that you can get. So, and once you get another weapon, like if you have the ice beam and then you get the wave beam, then you've got to go back to where you got the ice beam and get it again to change back. There's no way to kind of. I guess they just didn't have the memory or anything to to be able to have multiple weapons. So if you lose one of those weapons, you got to go back and get it again, and which is kind of hard to do because this game is so freaking huge and you can get lost very very easily. Yeah, when you have like the you get the morph ball where you can 
crouch down and turn yeah. into a little ball and go through passages. You can lay down bombs, mm-hmm. which I think you have to get that as a separate power up as well. Yeah. Well, the morph ball is actually the very first thing you get in the game. Uh, <laughs> you know, you, you, what, uh, whatever you do, you like, you beam down to the planet and you go to the left and that's your, you, you know, your morph ball. And once you do yep. that, you can go through the tunnels, but then you can get um, your bombs where while you're in the morph ball, you can leave bombs everywhere, which is very useful because in this game, there are a lot of walls that you can morph into, blast your way through, and be able to find the hidden areas in this game. And there are so many freaking hidden areas in this game to, to you know, as shortcuts and to other power-ups and... Uh, you know, energy tanks and things like that. I mean, it, it's just the amount of like secrets in this game and things that you can do is just crazy to me. That's what I think makes this game just, you know, it's going to be a great game forever. I don't think mm-hmm. this game, it, it, it still holds up. I mean, yeah, it's eight bit and it's for the Nintendo, but it's up there in, in the, one of the top you know, NES games, one of the best games of the 80s, one of the best Nintendo games you can get. If you don't have a copy of Metroid for your NES, if you have a Switch, just get pay $20 a year and play it on Switch Online because it's definitely 100% worth playing. It's one of those franchises that when you think of the original NES, you think Mario, Zelda, and Metroid's right up there with mm-hmm. it. And then, of course, you know, the the reveal of Samus being a woman when everyone thought that it was mm-hmm. a male was a huge deal back then. Yeah. And, 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 you know, Metroid was the one game that I wanted. That's what I got an NES for. I mean, as soon as I got an NES, I remember going to Kmart with like 10 bucks and uh, putting Metroid on layaway and then doing chores and everything else to raise the money to to get it out of layaway and i could just remember being like oh my god it's it's so close like i i i, I could taste it and i remember just bringing it home that day and just playing it like all night long like this game is just it's it's definitely one of my best gaming memories as a kid because I can still remember like being in the Kmart looking at Metroid going, oh my god, I can't wait to play this game. Must have it. Must have it. But I mean, it's I haven't heard franchise. the term layaway in forever. Oh yeah. <laughs> Do they even do layaway <laughs> anymore? <laughs> Especially Kmart. I think Walmart brought it back for the holidays. Yeah. And then the last Kmart just uh, just closed near uh, two towns over. Like one of the last Kmart's in the country just closed down like two weeks ago. Yeah, I remember Kmart. I got a lot of good games from Kmart. Yeah, that's where I got a lot of NES games from Kmart. They used to have like the the sale bin. That's where I got mm-hmm. a lot of games. Like say on sale for like five, ten bucks. Man, birthday would roll around get. 20 30 bucks in birthday money i'd hit the uh the sale bin at kmart buy a bunch of games no absolutely but i mean metroid is uh, there's not much i can say about it that hasn't already been said a thousand times but if you've never played any of the metroid games definitely go back to the beginning and see where it all started because 
it's just if especially if you love science fiction and you love like the aliens movies like this is basically just alien the movie <laughs> it's basically yeah. what it is well it is i know we've made this point several times on this podcast there are a lot of games that i think they would work better as a film or as a series metroid needs to be a live action dark sci-fi film yes. like in the in the same mold of like aliens. Yeah. I, I think I that would be that. freaking great. I think it'd be fantastic. I wouldn't even take an anime like, you know, Castlevania. Anim- anime would be cool. I'm okay with any of it because it's just, it's such a huge world. It, it, mm-hmm. it, it is, but it isn't because it's, you know, it's Samus, the bounty hunter alone on a planet trying to survive. And you, you know, and you're a bounty hunter. I mean, just everything outside of that, there's so much story that you could go into, you know, her getting to the planet, having to survive. I mean, I would watch an entire season of that. <laughs> I don't know about sure. you. But yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know why they haven't made a movie out of it already. I mean, Samus is, you know, one of the uh, the very first, like, video game female protagonists. Mm-hmm. Well, I know Brie Larson, who's playing Captain Marvel, said that she wants to play Samus in a Metroid movie, so why not? I'm okay with that. (laughs) Yeah, I think she'd be great. Uh, And as far as the music goes, Tanaka said uh, right here, he said he wanted to make a score that made players feel like they were encountering a a living organism and had no distinction between music and the sound effects. The only time a melodic theme is heard is when Mother Brain is defeated in order to give the victorious players catharsis. During the rest of the game, the melodies are more minimalistic because Tanaka wanted the soundtrack to be the opposite of the hummable pop tunes found in other games at the time. Which is weird because, you know, I still have this music in my brain from a -hmm. kid. I heard it so much. But that's a lot of, there's a lot of parts to this game where there isn't really any music. It just kind of goes quiet, but and you're just hearing the sound effects of the games and you're just hearing sort of like a you know, like a doot doot like a beeping off in the mm-hmm. distance or something and it's unnerving. Yeah. Which is funny because the song you played to kick off this segment is to me one of the most iconic themes of the NES era. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Uh they it even is, said here. It's just funny that he makes that point. Uh, video game scholar Andrew Shart- Shartman, what a name, right? <laughs> Shartman notes the possible influence of Jerry Goldsmith's Alien score on Tanaka's music, a, hypo- a hypothesis supported by Sakamoto's acknowledgement of Alien's influence on the game's development. As Shartman notes, much like Metroid, the movie owes some of its tensest, tensest moments to silence. Shartman further argues that Tanaka's emphasis on silence was revolutionary in video game composition. I'll say that too. Like the use of just the the quiet moments in this game that just build tension Mm -hmm. wasn't done in any other game that I can think of at the time, at least. No, and it's kind of goes the same with movies. You know, it's when you hear just silence and it, it just builds that tension to mm-hmm. when the, the scare happens or yeah. when the, the moment of action happens. So as it's, it's really smart use of the lack of music. But this is probably like as far as, you know, the original Nintendo goes, I think the use of music 
other than I think some of the best uses or some of the best soundtracks on the NES are, of course, Metroid, um, you know, Ninja Gaiden, um, of course, Super Mario Brothers, because it's so iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, those three games to me, like there's a lot of other games with, with music that I like, like double dragon and stuff. But I think as far as building tension and mood, like it doesn't get any better than Metroid and bless you, sir. I see you, uh, Thanks. <laughs> the sneeze there. Yeah. Figured out my, uh, my cough slash sneeze button. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it, it, like I was saying, as far as uh, building tension and just building mood and, and just atmosphere, it doesn't get any better than Metroid for the NES. No, absolutely. And, you know, it, it, it was fun going back and playing through the original one. I do wish that I had played it uh, when I first played an NES. But it's still, like you said, it, the gameplay still holds up. So it's not like I'm playing a vastly inferior game compared to its sequels. And um, I am going to finish it again as an adult, Um, but I'm going to wait until I get my pro controller in before I finish playing it because it is kind of hard playing it on the the controllers that come with the Switch. So I'm going to wait on that. But I do need to go ahead and get started on Super Metroid, which I already played it a while back, Um, but I need to get it fresh in my memory again. Um, that game's so good. It's, oh my god, it's so good! If you haven't played any of the Metroid games, like just go get yourself uh, Metroid for the NES and Super Metroid for the Super Nintendo, and just have yourself a a good weekend. Exactly. No, and even uh, it's been very brief, and I'm going to be playing definitely more this week. But next week, to continue Metroid Month. I will be reviewing Metroid 2, The Return of Samus for the Game Boy. Yes. I never got to play that. Um, I'm interested to uh, to hear what your take on it. <clears throat> now, I'm, I'm excited. And you know, when we came up with this idea, I was all for it. Because going through these games again, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'd love to go pick up a copy of Metroid Prime for the, uh, the GameCube. I may do that this weekend same no that's actually not a bad idea i think i'm gonna do that Hmm. (laughs) Uh, but it says here in 2006 nintendo power ranked metroid as the 11th best game on its list of the top 200 games on a nintendo video game console two years later the magazine also named metroid the fifth best game for the nes and it's best of the best feature describing it as a combination of super mario brothers platforming and legend of zelda's exploration and character upgrades um, let's see, on the top 100 games list, it was ranked 69th by Electronic Gaming Monthly, 6th by Game Informer, 7th wow. in 2009 by Game Informer. Uh, it also put Metroid 7th on their list of the top 200 games of all time, saying that it started the concept of open exploration in games. Uh, I'll give it that. Um, games Radar ranked it 5th best, um, fifth best NES game ever made. And wow, that's that's high praise, which I, I would say that. <laughs> uh, I would agree with that as well. Entertainment Weekly picked it as the 18th greatest game available in 1991. Um, uh, just, I mean, high scores all around for this game. Personally, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, it, it's hard to give a game a perfect 10. So I'm going to give Metroid a, a good solid 9.5. 
I think that's deserving. You know, it still holds up all these years later, mm-hmm. and it started an iconic franchise. So, because don't get me wrong, I, there's there's a lot of games that we've played for this show, and there's a lot of games that I'll play that I, that I loved as a kid, but just don't hold up. Um, mm-hmm. As I've gotten older, a lot of games that I'll play, and, and I just kind of get bored after a while. But Metroid just holds your attention like crazy. Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree. But that's all I have to say about it. Go play Metroid, especially if you have a Nintendo Switch. And I know I've said that a lot because I want Wally to drink. And uh, <laughs> go get your $20 a year um, Switch online and go play it right now. Absolutely. So that's it. Cool. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to, to review Metroid 2 because I, I haven't played it in... You know, this is the first time I've played it in several, several years since it was originally available for the Game Boy. So, but I, I will save my thoughts on that for next week. Fantastic. So, is there anything else you want to throw out there? Tell everybody about the uh, the the Derek Diamond experience. Yes. Yeah, so the show officially came back last week, but will be under the new format starting this upcoming week with new uh, rolled out new logo uh, this past week. Um, going to have new music focus solely on talking with those who work in the film and TV industry. So I've gotten a lot of really great interviews so far. So I'm excited for everyone to hear those. Uh, one I actually did last night that I'll be releasing next month is with, uh, someone, you know, named AJ Caruso yes. who composed the score for monsters and for survey. So yes, he did, uh, Really cool guy. We after we finished the interview, we talked for like another twenty or thirty minutes. Oh, so we did the same. <laughs> yeah, in total, we talked for close to two hours. Yeah. So it, it was, it was really good. So if you want to uh, follow the show on social media, it's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the Diamond Podcast. Especially if you're into, uh, if you're interested in in just music in general. Uh, or learning what it takes to to score movies or films or anything like that. This is definitely one interview you want to uh, you want to listen to. So go follow Derek over at the Derek Diamond Experience and check out that episode. Yeah, that'll be released sometime in early to mid February. Fantastic! So I can't wait. You got to a while to, to wait, it. but it's a good one. Uh, I don't have much going on. Just go follow me over at uh, at jfunktastic on Twitter. And um, if I'm feeling froggy, I might actually stream to Twitch me playing Metroid, uh, Super uh, Super Metroid, uh, in the coming weeks. So nice. If you want to do that, uh, I, I may kick up my Twitch channel again. Now that I have lots more free time. <laughs> cool. So that's it. Um, let me go ahead and play our music here. If you would like to email us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. We are at nerdcaveretro.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro. And individually at jfunktastic and at Derek underscore diamond. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. And also, if you would be so kind, please leave us a review wherever you download this podcast from. So, Derek. Eric, please tell them what it's all about.
Rocky. <laughs> 